Hello, welcome, and would you look at this mess. I'm your host, Kate, and the purpose of this podcast is to trace, explore, and celebrate the unconventionality that lives within all of us. Hey, welcome back. Another episode coming at you. Today, I'm thinking about transit, cars, buses, bicycles, LRTs, all that stuff. And maybe even a little bit about airplanes, (laughs) but we'll get to that at the end. I want to start, I'm just going to say it right off the top. I am, I identify as anti-car. We own a car, of course, because this is a car-driven world, no pun intended. Um, But at my core, I am anti-car. I have a brother, interestingly, um, who I am close with and I love him dearly, but he is a car fanatic and he has been since I can remember. He's owned, I don't even know how many cars, sports cars, trucks, he built his own truck at one point. So that's his thing, that's his obsession. Like I said, I love him dearly, but I do not get the obsession. I just yeah, it ain't for me. So love you, brother. You got me for a sister. Unfortunately, that's just your lot. (laughs) Anyway, so the format of this episode, I'm going to lay it out in a bit of a list because I tried to record this once already and I just went on so many, sorry, so many tangents and I was all over the place. So I thought, okay, I have to sit down and write out a list of things and go through them one by one. And then that'll make all of the sense. So we're going to start with four reasons why cars are harmful. All right, let's start with number one. The most obvious reason is fossil fuels. The vast majority of vehicles on the road today rely on fossil fuels to power them. We know that this has detrimental effects on the environment. This is, you know, very old old news now. <laughs> so I won't go into too much detail about it. Um, but yes, of course, there is always the, the idea that, or the, the knowledge that we have now that cars contribute to carbon emissions. And uh, this is a serious problem that we're facing globally today. So we need to be addressing this. I will also say though, in my ever alternative view, that I'm also not a huge fan of the electric car because um, it actually just, it doesn't get at the deeper rooted, some of the deeper rooted issues, which I'm going to get into um, a little bit. But basically, you know, electric cars are great for like an environmental perspective, which, and, and truly, I mean, from a very simple perspective on the environment of it does not emit the same emissions as a fossil fuel vehicle does. But that does not mean that the existence of an electric vehicle doesn't also perpetuate some environmental problems because some of those problems are based in the infrastructure that supports vehicles. And that's part of one of my upcoming reasons why um, why it's, it's bigger than just the environmental impacts that it has. And not only that, I'll just say that one of the things that is most interesting to me is that right now uh, SUVs are the most popular vehicle to purchase and so are the most manufactured vehicle at the moment. 
And this is interesting because they're also very, very uh, gas-guzzling, obviously. And so they're, they're just like the opposite of what we would consider to be an environmentally friendly vehicle. Um, so even though we know that cars are part of the environment and that it has a lot to do with how, what the, the fuel they use and how much they emit, somehow we're still reasoning that it's, it's okay, it's, it's all good to be driving the SUVs. And I think that part of this is related to reason number two and that is safety. Um, people perceive their relative safety within an SUV as being very high, I think. Uh, there is something to be said for being an occupant within an SUV in the event of an accident. You are pretty well protected. However, <laughs> uh, first of all, driving a vehicle, being on the road, is in itself inherently very, very dangerous. It is a dangerous activity. And people don't really talk about this a lot. It doesn't get a lot of attention that driving cars is an inherently dangerous activity. Um, driving in an SUV, if you're not in the SUV, puts you at a much greater risk of death and injury than if you were to be hit by a Prius or whatever, or a smart car. If you get smucked by an SUV, a GMC Terrain, it's not going to be good for you. So in terms of safety, like I said, the SUV is popular, I think, because a lot of people think of themselves being inside of the vehicle as safe, but they don't consider that from the other side of it, that whomever is on the receiving end of an accident with them is going to be at a greater risk uh, of death and injury themselves. And I just want to drive this point home a little bit about the safety thing by saying that I did a little bit of digging about relative risk um, with this stuff. And so you know, my numbers aren't great. I didn't look into any scientific papers or anything. I just kind of did some Googling. And what I found was that uh, the CDC or someone affiliated with the CDC recorded around 40,000 deaths uh, resulting from car accidents, from all car accidents in the year of 2018, which is not insignificant. Um, so I looked at the lifetime uh, chance of dying in a car accident, and that is one in 106. And if you if you compare that to your lifetime risk of dying by being struck by lightning, that's something like one in 3,000. So you've got one in 106 and one in 3,000. Yet, when a storm comes, we all go running inside <laughs> because we want to reduce our risk of potentially being struck by lightning. Um, but you don't feel that same sense of urgency when it comes to safety and being in vehicles. And I will say there is uh, a bit of a, sh a, a shortcoming where it concerns uh, safety education for parents putting their children in vehicles. There's a lot of stuff that goes on, uh, a lot of misinformation and a lot of undereducation for parents where it concerns properly installing a car seat, using the car seat according to the recommendations, i.e. not turning your child forward facing too early, and um, of course strapping them in safely, so things like not having them in a jacket and that sort of thing to protect them in case of impact. So that's reason number two, that cars are harmful. Reason number three is actually a social issue. And this is a pretty big one, and this is sort of where my, my biggest contention with vehicles lies, is that uh, we, we give preferential treatment to vehicles and the independent vehicle. But 
there is a set of the population that is not able to buy into that technology, whether it be because they are financially incapable or they're disabled or they're elderly or whatever it is, whatever the reasons are, there are a significant number of people who are unable to access that kind of transit. And so we see this disenfranchisement of people who are unable to access it um, and their voices are not regarded as being as important and valuable as people who drive. And we see this because, you know, there's all of this debate and contention about whether or not we should be putting tax money into infrastructure to support cycling and funding for transit and other things like, you know, a, a local example here would be the LRT that was recently taken off the table. And uh, the fact that if you ask people about taking the bus in Hamilton, at least people in my social circles, they will frequently feel like barfing when they think about it. And it's not because buses are inherently barfy. It's because we don't value those types of transit and therefore we underfund them and we don't give them the support that they need to run safely, cleanly, and efficiently, which again is just all leading to a disadvantage for people in communities who have to rely on those things because people do rely on them, even though it's not truly reliable. So again, this it's this this putting vehicles and independent vehicles and cars on a pedestal as being the be all end all, and that's what everyone should strive to be doing. And um, giving the most attention to those those uh, needs versus evening the playing field a little bit because people I, I believe there are lots of people who would choose not to drive if they felt like they had a good alternative. And we see that here. I mean, you know, we have the social bicycle program here and uh, we ha there are people who obviously live in the city partly for the reason of being able to have options for getting around. And I mean, I have worked with people who choose not to own vehicles because they used to have access to crew vans. And so they would get their, make their way to a central office. They would get in the crew van and they would, we would all carpool to our sites. And of course, given what's going on with COVID at the moment, that's no longer possible. And it is interesting to look at the effect that this has had because there are people who have been fortunate enough to have been able to get themselves vehicles relatively quickly so that they can continue to access their jobs. But there are other people who have just been completely um, excluded from working this season because they don't have a car or they don't have a license or whatever. They don't have access to it. And so this, this issue that's always existed, it's always been a problem, but it's suddenly very, very obvious now because people are feeling the effects of, of not having the same options and uh, opportunities to get themselves around alternatively than having a vehicle when that would normally be there, what they, what they turn to. So anyway, all of this to say that this is, it's, it is truly a social problem. It's a social problem that we are often incapable of viewing the other people in different circumstances to us as being important. People who would rather not drive and people who are incapable or unable to drive um, 
are being disenfranchised in society because not only are they not permitted to drive, now they have to rely on systems and uh, infrastructure that's in place that's sort of mostly willy-nilly underfunded and just not supported by taxpayers, by society at large. And so it actually further denigrates them into uh, this, this lower class divide, which shouldn't really exist. I had a prof, actually, I'm going to go on a tangent for a second here. I had a prof in college who was from Argentina, and she would tell us about how, um, you know, people took transit there no matter who they were. She was a professor there, so obviously she would have belonged to more of the upper middle class at that point, but she always took the bus to campus, and so did every other kind of professional and every other kind of um, worker there was. Everybody who lived in that part of town, no matter what their occupation was, no matter what their social status was, they took the bus. And so it was a sort of great um, leveling process where it so there was no status attached to how you got to work, whereas here there is absolutely status attached to how you get to your job, how you get around town. You know, we attach a lot. And so this isn't necessarily a reason why things are harmful necessarily, but it can be harmful to people to be a part of a culture where we so so strongly encourage and uh, view positively owning a vehicle because not everybody wants to and not everybody can. So again, I could imagine it feeling quite shitty if you wanted to own a car but you couldn't and all of your friends are buying cars and they're posting on social media and everyone's congratulating them and it's kind of like, well, that feels like crap because that's not ever going to be me. Or, you know, like for us, for Nick and I, we own one car and it's a like a decent car, but it's like over 10 years old. We just don't care to have a new vehicle that's, uh, you know, flashy and fancy and stuff. We, it's not a priority for us, but sometimes it's like, ah, sometimes you get this feeling like, oh man, do people think that we're, we can't afford a better car just because we don't have one? (laughs) You know, there's this attachment of wealth and status to what kind of car you drive. If you have more money, obviously you drive a better car where we're kind of like, well, we, we don't have obviously all of the money, but we, we do well and we don't have it. We're not prioritizing having a nicer car. So there is this, this attachment of status and, uh, you know, I couldn't care less. I just don't care. I don't care about the car. It's not an investment it's just a money dump. So the less money that I have to spend on it, the better. Um, anyway, so let's get to let's get to uh, reason number four, and this is gonna relate back to all the other stuff too. Uh, basically, number four is that driving promotes further sedentism. So we have become extremely sedentary as a culture because a lot of the jobs that we do require sitting for long periods of time, which means that we don't move around a lot. And so car culture also exacerbates this when you have long transit times. You've got an hour in the morning, two hours home. That's another three hours a day that you're sitting down in a car. You know, the, the, the argument could be made, too, that if you're on a train, it's similar. But along with taking the train or the bus, there is always some 
walking involved because the train doesn't go directly to your house. So even if you're taking transit, there's always usually a kilometer or two of walking that you have to do to get to and from that station or that stop that you're going to. And so, you know, it's not significant necessarily, but it's something. For, well, and maybe you have to walk a long distance to your car at the train station. I don't know. But <laughs> either way, uh, taking your car everywhere is not promoting a healthy, active lifestyle. And, and you know, it goes beyond just the, the commuting side of it. There's also the fact that people will, once you have a car, it's hard not to uh, choose to just drive to do everything, right? You could do some things on a daily basis. You could do some things walking or cycling. But since you have the convenience of the car, it's hard to turn that down and not drive. So then it's further accentuating this problem of not ever doing things that are activity-based. And uh, so you're, you're just sort of get, becoming more and more sedentary. So those are the primary arguments that I have against driving and vehicles in particular. So for the following segment, I'm going to focus a little bit on some of the arguments that people make against permitting and, uh, and supporting and funding other modes of transit. And so one of them, one of my favorites, is that uh, cyclists don't follow the rules of the road. They're not good at cycling on the road. And I think to myself, okay, well, there's a few reasons for that. First of all, cyclists are being required to fit themselves into a template that was never designed to accommodate cyclists. So we're, we're you know, yes, we have bike lanes in some places, but the roads themselves were not designed to have bikes on them. We're just adding in bike lanes as an afterthought. So it doesn't actually really accommodate how bikes operate. And so this can be seen, one of the best examples is when people get super riled up because this, this cyclist rolled through a stop sign or like cycled through a stop sign, right? And to a vehicle driver, it looks often like you're going, they're going quite fast. And so people get all up in arms because that cyclist rode through the stop sign. And so here's the thing. When you think about it from a cyclist perspective, very first and foremost, you have to understand that if you are coming up to an intersection on a bike, your visibility is way better than if you were driving a car because there's, there's no metal and glass obstructing your view. You have the ability to move your body around in space. You're not, you're not being, you know, again, no glass and stuff preventing your body from moving around. And so, I mean, of course, there's always the possibility that there's like a building or something obstructing your view. But for the most part, you can see fairly clearly what's coming and, and how clear things are. So as a cyclist, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, it's pretty clear, things are looking good. And the last thing that you want to do is have to come to a full stop because it requires so much more energy to get going again than it does to just keep your momentum a little bit and keep rolling through and just get through the, the stop sign, right? So this is one of those fundamental problems with having bikes just sort of smacked onto the road because that cycling doesn't really work the same way that cars do. If a cyclist runs a stop sign and suddenly somebody is in the intersection or whatever, it's far easier for them to swerve out of the way to, even if they, even if they made impact with that person in the intersection, 
the the damage that would be caused as a result of that would be so minor compared to if a car does that. This is why we need to have traffic calming um, measures and that sort of thing versus cyclists don't really require that same same sort of stuff because, you know, with it just it's a totally different, it's not a, a thousand or two thousand pound machine <laughs> with a motor in it. Well, sometimes they have little motors, but even still, they're not motorized for the most part. So it's just a totally different type of technology. And uh, so then the other thing that comes to mind when I think about people being sticklers for cyclists following the rules of the road is that I ask the question, um, how, how perfect are you as a driver? Do you obey every single sign that you see, every rule that you're supposed to follow when you're on the road? Do you change signals every time you, or sorry, do you, do you put your signal on every time you change lanes or make a turn? Do you stop for a full four seconds every time you hit a stop sign? Do you not ever run a red light? You know, all of these little things that we all do. I mean, I see it every day as, as someone who both walks, cycles, and drives. And uh, so I can tell you, <laughs> unequivocally, people do this constantly. So it seems interesting to me that there is this standard that cyclists are being held to to follow the rules of the road, a road which was not designed for them, when car vehicle drivers have perhaps more difficulty, maybe not more, but have just as much difficulty following those same rules. So like why, <laughs> why are cyclists held to such a high standard when cars are obviously given a pass on a lot of this stuff? So these are just things that I think about um, when I'm confronted with people being, you know, general a-holes about driving versus cycling versus walking and uh, and supporting other modes of transit. And the last thing I want to leave you with, the, th the last thought that's been rolling around in my head for a while. First of all, um, I was reading a report recently that was talking about cruise ships and the, the these German researchers were tasked with finding out and then recommending the best option for an environmentally friendly uh, cruise cruise line and the end result of their study was that there was none there was no recommendation to be made because they are all very detrimental to the environment and I thought wow yeah that makes a lot of sense and I realized that's a single study and you know there you kind of want to have a body of evidence when you look at these kinds of things but the arguments are sound and it makes sense they do a lot of dumping of stuff in the ocean. It requires a ton of fossil fuels to keep these things going. They run for two weeks at a time without ever turning off. And so it makes sense to me. So I, I was just thinking, you know, I was only ever supposed to once I had an opportunity to go on a, on a cruise, but we couldn't get the time to go. So I never made it. And then I was like, other than that, I, I have no desire to ever go on a cruise. So I think I'm good. But <laughs> if you're ever considering it, especially now, maybe just give it a pass on the cruise line for now or possibly forever if you're inclined to do so, which uh, brings me to my very final thought. Um, and that is about plane travel, because I've also been learning recently that plane travel is 
is actually also very hard on the environment. And people often don't talk about this because travel is so highly regarded and is something that so many people in this part of the world really strive for. And it's also a, a very strong status symbol. And um, so, you know, I'm looking more into research on this side of things of how detrimental is is plane travel on the environment, and should we be reconsidering how much of it we do? Myself, uh, I started to try to, I started thinking about this even before COVID stuff started happening, but now that we are in the time that we're in, I'm kind of thinking this is a good opportunity. I mean, even my last episode, you know, I was talking about going on solo travel and stuff, but this is a good opportunity to start exploring more places locally and getting to know some of our local spots that are beautiful and have a lot to offer and can be a rich experience for us without having to take a plane to get there. I think taking trains probably would be acceptable too, so you could probably do continental uh, sort of stuff. But also, of course, then you have to look at how much time and money you have because trains are bloody expensive when you're <laughs> traveling long distances and they take a long time. So it's kind of the worst of the worst, <laughs> but it's beautiful. I can remember taking a train to Montreal once and it was beautiful. So I think that's something I'm going to start exploring a little bit more. And I'd be curious to know if you've heard anything about this or or if you have thoughts on this, on the, the idea of, you know, nixing the the plane travel and, and and foregoing it and just choosing to do more more local stuff or how you might approach that. So I want to recap with you all of the things that we've covered so that we can continue to bear these things in mind. So the first reason that I am proposing that cars are harmful would be that there's the environmental impact that they have. And not only are they hard on the environment for their fueling reasons, but also because of the types of cars that we're choosing to drive are the, the most uh, harmful in that way, but also because the infrastructure that is required to support this kind of transit also has wide-reaching impacts on the environment. The second issue is that of safety, in that driving is in and of itself an unsafe practice, and so we should be mindful of perhaps trying to minimize how much we drive in order to mitigate that risk. And also getting a little more education as parents when we enter parenthood and we own vehicles and we put our children in those vehicles, a little bit of a stronger basis of education on how to properly install and use those car seats. Issue number three is the social problem of holding driving and the independent vehicle on a pedestal above all other modes of transit and how that devalues other types of transit and in turn um, leads to continued oppression and punishment of people who are unable to buy into that kind of technology and also serves to continue to perpetuate the class divide. 
And finally, the last issue is the promotion of sedentism from driving, either because we commute this way and put several hours of our day into our commutes. Again, the infrastructure to support that requires these longer distant travels. And also because the convenience of a vehicle gets us to a place where we are less likely to choose to walk or cycle for something that could be done through those modes of transit just because it's easier and faster and we can pack more things into our day if we choose to drive instead. And if you are that kind of person who views driving as being essential and the most important uh, type of transit and you you are oppositional to supporting and funding other kinds of transit, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm shaming you in any way. You've had a lifetime of, of socialization to think this way, but I do encourage you to ask yourself some questions about what that those ideologies, what those views are, are rooted in and if there might be some different ways that you could consider these topics and these issues. And otherwise, that wraps up the episode for today. And I thank you again so much for joining me and having a listen and just giving me the space to, to say my piece. And again, if you have any comments or anything you want to share on this issue, please reach out to me. My information is in the show notes. And if you have commentary that you would um, like to just broadly add to this, this podcast, then please review on whatever platform you're using. One last time, thank you for being here, and I will see you in the next one.